Welcome to Sales Talk for CEOs. I'm glad you're here. I'll be interviewing CEOs who have successfully scaled their B2B sales organization. In each episode, I'll start by uncovering the sales background of each CEO, dig into the strategies they use to build their sales organization, and wrap it up with what the future holds. We'll cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of scaling a sales organization. I'm your host, Alice Hyman. Welcome, everybody. I'm excited today to have Darren Dixon with me. He has spent 25 or more years in the home services industry, and he has built more than one empire. So it's pretty exciting uh, to talk to him today about this. He has recently, uh, just under four years ago, started a new company called Fixify because of a need that he saw in the marketplace. Welcome, Darren. Thank you for having me. So I'm excited to hear about what you learned all those years in this industry that made you want to strike out and start this current business, Fixify. So tell us a little bit about what Fixify does currently, and then we'll go back to the beginning. Sure. Thank you. Well, you know, Fixify is a software platform for the home services industry that connects consumers and contractors through the marketplace and then also through the interactive services. But what Fixify really is designed to do is it's the most energy efficient software in the world. And you may say to yourself, well, what, 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 what does that mean? Um, like everybody else does. Uh, what it means is this, and, and few people know this very amazing fact, and that is that if the Earth's, if the carbon levels continue to increase um, in the Earth's atmosphere, and the warming of the Earth continues just one more degree Celsius, okay, that the impact on the environment with global uh, coastal flooding and some other really rough stuff that we don't want to have to have happen here, um, that, that, that's going to happen. And what, what most people don't realize is that the biggest culprit to global warming is residential air conditioning. Um, most people don't realize it there. It is a significant, um, contributor. It, it is the, the largest contributor to the problem in, uh, in the world. And, and most people don't realize that we think cars, we think, you know, we think power plants, we think stuff like that. But when you think to the amount of residences that there are in, in the world, and specifically we'll talk about, you know, the, the North America, um, it is, it is by far, the largest contributor and consumer of electricity uh, in the world. So our software educates a consumer and shows them what the most cost-effective solutions that they can do to their home is when they are actually having something done with their air conditioning system. And, 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 it, and it helps with plumbing and it helps with electrical too, but, but the biggest culprit is the, is the air conditioning. And in the United States, uh, and, well, North America, but speaking about you know the U.S., 80% of the time that people are replacing their old air conditioning systems on their homes, they're replacing it with the minimum efficiency that's available. And that act alone, by instead of using a higher efficiency product, which is actually uh, a net zero product, uh, it, is, it is contributing to this terrible uh, situation. So we decided that we were going to help solve that problem because 
um, having a global understanding of the industry and knowing this information and having spent many, many years teaching and training contractors how to teach their, um, their technicians to, to address this issue, um, we knew that the only way we would ever be able to gain consistency would be if we could build a software that would educate the customer themselves. Fascinating. And this is a very serious problem that, you know, many people maybe don't really understand or maybe don't think about very much, but it is a serious problem. And it's interesting that you say that air conditioning is the number one contributor. Um, I teach at the University of Nevada in uh, in the entrepreneurship minor, and I teach sales, obviously, because, <laughs> you know, that's what I know. Um, and last semester, I had a student in my class who was working on the same problem, but in a different way, using hydrogen to power air conditioning units to really reduce the amount of energy that they use and make them so much more efficient. He had a working prototype and they were going to start manufacturing. So when you said that, I was like, oh, that's so interesting. My student was working on that same problem, but just in a, in a different way. And so I think it's starting to become something that people might know more about soon because people are working on it like you. Well, you know, the uh, the fastest growing population or demographic, if you will, of home buyer today is the millennial. And millennials have a, a different and more educated concern for the environment as a, as, a, as, a, as a population they do. And they also have an expectation of a higher level of consumer experience, right? Everything, everything is done uh, through their mobile device, which it becomes an extension of us. And it, it becomes really, if you think about it, really it's never more than 18 inches away from us. And it has become an extension on how we do just about everything in our lives. And so, you know, our software um, interacts with consumers that way. And so while most people have thought about technology solving the problem from a product standpoint, um, and, and, you know, the use of hydrogen and, and other types of refrigerants um, that are uh, friendly to the atmosphere are great, but the efficiency itself is something that, that impacts this, this equation so heavily. And so we looked at technology as the modality of communication, whereas the product designer looks at, at product design as the modality of energy efficiency. Yes, yes. So can any homeowner download your app? Yes. Yeah. Any, any owner can, any homeowner can. And the way that our software works is it, uh, it is basically, it takes the place of any operating CRM or ERP that a, um, home service contractor already would be using in their business. And so Fixify replaces that. So now every single service call that those contractors run, our software is now collecting the data processing the information and educating the consumer on what the most cost-effective way to handle this aspect of their home's maintenance system is. So I love that. It's both sides of the equation. It helps the homeowner to understand better what they can do, but it also helps yes. the contractor to keep track of the homeowners and what they've done there and, yeah. and basically everything they need to know, all the information that they need. And, and not only that, but it carries open APIs. So, so we, we, look at, we look at the supply chain as an ecosystem. And, and we say there's all these organisms inside this ecosystem. And if they're out of balance, 
in the way they're interacting with one another, then the whole thing, you know, is bad, yeah. right? Like if my pool gets out of, <laughs> if my pool's, you know, chemicals get out of whack, it turns green and nobody wants to get in it, right? So, right. so but when everything's in balance, it reaches a very stable and a very um, productive uh, environment. And that's the way that we look at the supply chain for this industry is that, you know, when manufacturers and, and software providers and contractors and technicians and, you know, um, financing vendors and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, can all work together to create a system that benefits the consumer, thus the contractor in which they're doing business with, then, then we, we solve the problem holistically. Well, it gives the contractor a differentiation as well. For sure. That they need, right? And so th- we're going to talk some more about who you sell to in a minute. But I want to go back to, you know, how you got all this knowledge about the industry. Tell us about the first companies that you uh, founded and, and built and sold. And then how you got to that moment where you decided that you wanted to start Fixify and and. I think you've told us a little bit about why, but kind of what was that light bulb moment? So take us back to your history of what you were doing before Fixify and how that prepared you to start Fixify. Sure, sure. I'd love to. Well, you know, I was um, I was one of these guys that didn't go to college, working three jobs, uh, trying to, you know, take care of the carnal needs of life, you know, housing, clothing and food for myself and two other mouths. And uh, I actually got recruited into the uh, home service industry as a salesperson. So my very beginning to this industry has been has been through sales. And uh, I couldn't believe it that they would pay you that much to go sit down in somebody's house and just talk to them for about an hour and a half, two hours and walk out of there with such great money. So I, I, I liked it a lot. And um, uh, I, I came up into the industry uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada. I was born and raised there. And uh, so... In, uh, in 2003, I, I actually um, acquired that business uh, in 2004, but in 2003, we actually created the first one-hour heating and air conditioning uh, location that there ever was. And uh, so when we uh, then merged that company with, with a company out of Florida called Clockwork Home Services, and we went about building out uh, a very large franchise uh, under three different brands, which was called One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning, uh, Ms., uh, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, and Mr. Sparky Electric. And so I was uh, on the executive team with uh, a man named James Abrams, uh, along with some other key uh, individuals that built that company, and we sold it. Um, and, you know, it gave me a very awesome opportunity to understand data at a much higher level because. The business that I was, the sector, sector that I was managing was, you know, approximately doing, let's just say 150, $160 million a year. And the average size contractor in this space does around five, at the time only did somewhere around four or $500,000 in a year. So if you think about the amount of data that I was able to review and to see and to understand, you, you know, it would be many lifetimes of... Yeah. Uh, that it would take to be able to um, to gain that same amount of information had I been in a much smaller environment. So I was very fortunate to, to be there and to see that the consumer experience, when managed properly, um, given given the lacking technology that we even had at the time, you know, we used to joke and say that uh, the, the the pizza delivery uh, person had more technology in their hands than our technicians did when they were walking into a customer's home, but. Uh, I was always fascinated by 
the ability to use technology and um, and my brain kind of just worked that direction. And so we uh, we sold that company in 2010, and uh, and then I had the opportunity to be part of some other great organizations that we built and sold. Uh, and then in 2018, after the exit of the last uh, business, I was literally just floating in the pool, and I was thinking about this great amount of experience that I've been able to get to have in this industry and and what would be really the best thing I could do with it like what would be you know I, I mean being very transparent I really was asking myself if I was yet satisfied with the hallmark that I had left on the industry and uh, I was not yet satisfied with that and I felt like there was more to do and so uh, through a process of really looking at what I instinctually knew was the greatest opportunity to add consistency uh, to the consumer's experience and the information that they deserve to have when they're making a decision on something so important in their home. The only answer, obvious answer was, how could I do it with technology? And so from there, it was just been a fun ride. But you know, there's been great companies that have gone before us that have actually done things that have made this this possible. I mean, if we would have thought of this 10 years ago, we couldn't have done it, right? Because there were, you know, inside 10, 12 years ago, there was no such thing as an iPhone. Right. There, there, there was no, you know, close to that time period. Yeah. We didn't have apps. We didn't have our iPhones. And we, yeah, we didn't have the tools that you use to communicate with the homeowners Mm -hmm. between the homeowner and the contractor. And then Uber comes along and teaches us about fractional, um, you know, transactions and the ability for, uh, us to use what we call direct connect technology and the ability with high speed data that's now able to be um, used on a mobile device, even when not connected to Wi Fi, allowed us to now understand that we could start to use streaming video and AI to automate the experience that a consumer was having so that they could solve this very important issue in their lives. And, and that's, uh, and that's why, that's why we did it because if, uh, if something, we have to work together to make our environment a, a more healthy place, or it's going to be a place that uh, nobody can live in the future, and we don't want that to be the case. Right. So that's why we say that's why we call our uh, our, our software is the most energy efficient software in the world because there is nothing else that does what it does, and it addresses the biggest issue in global warming. And so we're pretty excited about it. We're on a mission, you know. I love your focus on that. I think it's remarkable. And I love that you as a CEO have this experience in sales. I think it's something like 25% or less of CEOs have a sales background. And so if you can imagine what it would be like to be a CEO who has never sold anything, (laughs) you come from a finance background or a legal background or operations you may not have the full understanding of what sales is or what a customer focus is or what customer experience actually really means other than maybe the experiences you've had for yourself. But you grew up in sales in this industry. Yeah, that's right. And, and you started there and, and worked your way into being the person who, who was running the company as well. So you understand how important sales is. So I imagine, you know, when you started this company, once again, you found yourself as the CEO in the sales role um, and beginning to sell for your company. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think that I've never met a founder of a company that wasn't very sales focused because just the whole process 
of being able to actually establish and build a company from nothing uh, requires the thinking process and the planning process and the communication process um, as you're interacting with other people that you're going to, you know, get to merge in and understand your vision. And so, you know, a sales focus and a, and a belief in mindset. I think as I, I've managed many, many, many salespeople and, um, and, I, and I love it uh, because they are, have such a unique drive um, in them that they um, have this innate desire for, uh, to accomplish the ability to transfer their emotion and their knowledge to another person in a useful way. And, and, and so, uh, I love sales and I love the, I love being, um, a salesperson. I, I consider myself a salesperson now. I mean, I don't even, you know, CEO is what I have to put on my card because that's, that communicates to the community that I also have to communicate with and work in of what my role is. But if I were to identify myself, I would really say that, that I, I am the, the chief uh, leader of sales in our organization. I think it's so important for CEOs to identify what their role is. And as you and I both know, when you start your company, your role in sales is very different than when you're 10, 20 years in, right? And um, all great leaders, great CEOs always maintain that role in sales. They always know what the customer's journey is and what their salespeople need to do to make that journey easier and, uh, you know, more effective, right? So right now at your company, yeah, yeah. You're still doing all or most of the selling. So, you know, it's interesting as you're you're talking, you're getting me thinking and sales is the fuel that creates the trajectory of an organization. And so whether that is an organization that's just coming off the ground and it has to expend a great amount of its energy to get its momentum going, or it is a, a maturing organization that is, um, is spending you know, more of its energy now on um, the recruitment of other salespeople coming into the organization and being right. able to scale and start to tell that message to mm-hmm. many people, the, the, the truth remains the same. And you know, as I started the organization, I was selling from day one. I was selling, I was selling a concept to investors. I was selling... Um, I was selling people on coming to work for my company that was brand new. Um, and, and indeed the first, uh, subscribers and users of our software were individuals that I sold to do that too. Now having a sales department and having individuals on that team, it, my job in sales becomes, it transitions into a role in which I am making sure that the vision of our organization stays very, very clear to the people who are in charge of communicating it. And that's the, that's the challenge that organizations have as they grow. And I've, I've been part of this and seen this and managed this in the past as well, is that the diseconomy of scale comes because of a loss of fidelity to the understanding of what the mission and the purpose of the company is. And so my role evolves into making sure that I am protecting and keeping that fidelity in place, not only in the way that we communicate out to the general public, but also in the way that we uh, are communicating to our potential clients. Yeah, that is so important. And I do see organizations struggling as they mature when they lose that vision 
and the CEO ha- is no longer communicating that for whatever reason, right. maybe too far away from it or something happens. But then you see salespeople who are not hitting their quota. They're not successful. And we want to blame it all on the salespeople a lot of times, right? Or the sales leader. Oh, they must not be making enough calls or doing enough of this or, you know, whatever. They don't know how to sell our product or service. When sometimes I feel like there's such a disconnect that the salespeople don't know the why anymore. They don't understand that vision And it's so important, a good salesperson always believes what the leader believes, right? There, it's like Simon Sinek always says, you know, you wanna find the people who believe what you believe, and that means your team and the people that you sell to. And if we let our salespeople sort of go rogue on us, right? They're selling what they think the vision is. It's not our our vision as the leader. It just doesn't work. It just makes this huge disconnect. What you're saying is so important because you know, it's just like the game uh, telephone, right? Is that it, it doesn't it doesn't matter whether it's meaningless information or meaningful information that starts at the beginning of the funnel and comes out different at the other end. And right. so I, I believe that it's very important for executives to stay involved in making sure that there's leadership there that absolutely is tapped into the core of why we do what we do. That's why... You know, as we communicate with our with our teams, there's an understanding that um, our mission is that we are going to rid the world of these carbon emitting problems and and help consumers. It does a lot of other things too, right? I mean, it improves profitability and it makes managing easier and it does all this intuitive cool stuff. But which is great, which is great, but it's not the vision. But it's not; those are added benefits. the The mission is is you know energy efficiency so keeping that the point is keeping that that vision in front of them because otherwise you know and so what i do is i I like to drop in and participate in a sales presentation and to assess for myself how clearly we are communicating the process and you know just even yet today my senior vice president uh, of sales and I were on the on the telephone, and I said to him, "You know, I uh, I like Ritz Carlton hotels for a lot of obvious reasons, right? But one of the things I really like about Ritz Carlton is that you can go up to any team member and ask for them to recite to you their service pledge, right? That they are to have it memorized, and and now they ha- carry a little card around too, just in case they can't memorize it, right? But they have it, and it's important to them, and so." Even yet this day, I was on the phone, as I said, with my uh, senior vice president of sales. And I said, in that spirit, please tell me what are the five key things that this software does. And because I wanted to make sure that he could recite back to me as clearly as I expect and think that that's happening. So I think executives have a big, important role and responsibility in inspecting what they expect. And not just say, well, because I said it or because I communicated it from from the pulpit that, you know, that that's now going to translate down into the ability to have all of the salespeople and everybody in the organization implement that vision in the way that they communicate with the client. Right. Right. Well, and people forget, right? We have short memories, unfortunately, sometimes. So communicating at once is just not enough. It needs to be communicated consistently. That's right. And like you said, repeated back. And I know um, leaders like you who really believe this, 
at the, they start their sales meetings with, you know, what are the five key things? It's always somebody's turn to shout them out. Um, when, when they're out and about, you know, meeting other people and they, you know, recite them like, this is what we believe. This is passionate. This is more than, this is not just talk. This is what we believe. And I don't want to hire salespeople who don't believe this because then they're just outselling software. And that's not what we do. Right. We're not selling for the sake of a sale. We're selling for the sake of the value and the benefit of the person that will be using what we're selling. And so, yeah, same page. Because sometimes I think we just forget that we need to repeat ourselves and that it's necessary and important to repeat ourselves. So we make sure everybody is on message, right? They're on point. And we don't just one day, three years later go, what happened? How did everybody get, you know, a different message, right? It's our job as a leader to communicate it. Yeah. And so salience and repetition, right? Salience and repetition are the two most important aspects to maintaining consistency in, in thought. So number one is what we're, is what we're communicating clear, right? Not, and I, I find in, in my communications with members of my own team and even in the general community uh, that a lacking clarity of communication is, is, is a big problem. And so, so how salient is it? How, how clearly could you repeat back to me what it is that I was trying to communicate to you? Number two is repetition, right? So that, that, there's your point is that are we clearly and regularly communicating in intervals that create change? And then I like what you said, inspect what you expect. So we set off this expectation that we're all on this path. We're all here for the same mission. So let me see that. Yeah, it's not a set it and forget it uh, type program, right? (laughs) Well, interesting. You mentioned that you were talking to your senior VP of sales. And so in this short time that you've had the company, you've already started to grow this sales organization. Starts out with you doing a lot of selling or all of the selling in the very beginning, right? And then, of course, you you recognize that there's so much to do as a CEO, and you've done this before, that you're going to have to hire some great salespeople. So tell us about that journey and how did, you know, how did you start, you know, hiring and then what happened, you know, next and how did you get to where your sales organization is right now? Well, you know, we, we are the beneficiary of being the new cool thing. So that comes with some challenges too, but in the, at least in the in regards to the answer to this question was that as we attend um, many many events and uh, industry shows and things like this, I have the opportunity to interact with a lot of people, and I have the opportunity to meet a lot of uh, good folks. But the other thing is that over the course of my now I guess twenty six year uh, career, I've also made uh, a very wide uh, network of of business um, colleagues that um, have experience with me and have worked in businesses that uh, that we built and and know who I am. So the opportunity, I mean that humbly, um, in that we have the op- the great privilege of being able to carry with us a reputation uh, that attracts the right kinds of people to want to work for us. So at this stage, at this stage, I haven't had to expand the sales team widely enough that I would be able to offer extreme strategies on how to go out and attract those people outside of saying that everything that you do 
every single day matters so much. And everyone is watching always. They're looking at your social media. They're looking at the way you conduct yourself at events. They're looking at, we were at an event and, uh, and I had my sales team there and I said, you know, I don't expect that I probably need to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, is that the way that we conduct ourselves at these events is with class and dignity at all times. And when you, just because you see some people that are, you know, loosening up uh, at a level that, you know, I mean, look, you want to have a drink, have a drink, right? But, but we're not the ones, you know, strutting across the floor with our shirts off. Okay. I mean, like, you know, it's some of these parts, you know, you know how events can go. So I think that making sure, I mean, at events, how you conduct yourself at events and, and, and people being able to see the difference in you is really a great benefit. And so I would say that just making sure that we are always preparing for our next great thing um, in the way that we conduct ourselves each day. And you just never know when you're going to come across the person that's going to be the solution to exactly what you needed. And they were watching you probably before you ever knew. Yes. Well, I, I really appreciate that because I think we forget that as leaders, we have the ability to attract the people that we want to come work for us. And you worked hard at building those relationships over many years so that they were looking to say, hey, what is Darren doing now? I'd like to check that out and maybe go work for him, right? Or work with him. So I think that that's a really important point. A lot of CEOs, once they start their company, you know, their head is down, just focusing on, getting everything running and investors and, you know, all the things that CEOs have to do. But I feel, and I think you'll agree that CEOs need to be the face of their company. Yes, we have important work to do and we do have to put our heads down and do it sometimes as CEOs, but we are the face of our company and we can be the difference. If you're having a hard time attracting people to work for you right now, which, you know, it is a little bit tough in this economy to get salespeople and others. But if you're the one who's doing something that's really interesting and unique, innovative, something you really care about too, that's the other thing. People want to work for people who care, especially as you mentioned earlier, these younger people they they want to see what are you about? What do you care about? You know, what are you doing to make a difference in the world? Not just give me a job, right? right? They want they want to feel like they're making a difference. It's more important than it's ever been, right? It's more important than it's ever been. We have, you know, my own children have never known life without internet, right? Right. I mean, I right. knew I I've, I've known more life without internet than I have with practically, you know what I mean? Um, so this younger generation is so much more socially educated and exposed than we ever were at their ages. And they want to be part of something. They, they want to spend their lives on things that matter. And they, they, they appear to me to be judging the quality of their life a lot more on their experiences than they are on their material goods. And so if you want to attract the right kinds of people, then you need to make sure that you are, under, first of all, understanding what the workforce wants and understanding the kinds of companies that they are going to be attracted to. And even within each niche of whatever business vertical you're in, is your company, is your company the kind of company that a person looks forward to going to work at? And that's very, very important to me because I consider, I can, you know, my company 
is an extension of family to me. And, and I know that it, as the organization continues to grow, it's very hard to maintain levels of familiarity with individuals that you don't get to visit with very much because of the distance and in, in, uh, just in volume of, of people that are there anyway. But it should feel that way. And the vibe of, of a workspace, and it doesn't matter if it's working in a bricks and mortar facility or if it's working remotely, the vision and the leadership and the mission of that organization has to permeate the communication so that they understand what they're doing just because they're working remotely doesn't change it at all. I think it's a little bit easier to do when you have an environment, but it's also, there's a lot of drawbacks to what having a lot of people in one building does too, you know? So, um, but being focused on making sure, you know, that all of the uh, in individuals inside our company are as focused on communicating and becoming instruments to, to expand the communication of what our organization is about, not just the sales team. Like when, when we, when we send out um, some sort of social media, you know, piece of information, you know, the team likes it and they share it. And as that team grows, then obviously that becomes a much larger and more effective arm that you can utilize inside your company to make sure that, you know, that everybody is all on the same page and is publicly communicating the mission and the, and the excitement that they have about working in that organization. Because when it all comes down to it, it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what they say, right? I can sit and I can tell you all, all that I want to tell you about how great it is to work in this company, but they're the ones that are going to actually tell you what it's really like to work in this company through the way that they act about it. Well, you know, that's how, really how I found you because I noticed that your team was doing that, right? Like I'm following technology companies, the companies I think are interesting. And I'm like, wow, they post great content and the people at their own company actually interact with their content. And, you know, to me, that's just natural. Like, why wouldn't you do that? But there's so many companies that are not taking advantage of that. And you and I both know that every time somebody from your company posts something and then everybody else likes or comments on it, it just amplifies yes. your brand yes. and many more people get to see it. That's right. And you become the company that people are watching, just like I was watching you. And, you know, like you said earlier, we have an important job as a CEO, not just to attract our customers and help, you know, keep the customers flowing in in the mission, but we have to attract employees and retain yeah. them as well. And this is all a very important part of that. Well, for sure, because the quality of a sale is only as good as the quality of the delivery of, the, of what was sold. And so having, having an organization that is, uh, is filled with the kinds of people that you need to make sure that you are delivering what the customer wants, because I'm, I'm not the one out there doing all that. I'm not the one that's, that's onboarding. I'm not the one that's that's interacting with a consumer or a customer if they have a question. I'm not the one, right? That's my team that's doing all. I'm not the one that's that's designing and developing um, the intricacies of the way that this software does. I mean, I am the direction of what it does, but I'm not the one that's coding it, right? So I have to have, just like every CEO has to have an organization that um, and, an, and a, a group of team members that are going to be the ones that deliver that world-class experience to the consumer because that's the marketing battlefront today. The marketing battlefront today is consumer experience and sales and that all go together. That's right, right. It's that customer experience from hello to I am that's your right. loyal customer. Mm -hmm. And many parts of our organization 
touch that buyer on their journey. And we have to be cognizant of that. As the CEO, what does that journey look like and how are we making it exceptional at every step of the way? You know, I think something else that's very worth saying, Alice, is that I also think that mentorship is very important. And, you know, as we look at our own leadership development, you know, we're we're managers and then we're leaders and then we become mentors, right? Hopefully through our process. I think, you know, it's very important for CEOs to have mentors too. You know, I have mentors too. And it's uh, the, the, the idea that it's lonely at the top is, uh, is, doesn't have to be that way if you choose good mentors and they're out there. And it's just funny how the universe will bring to you what you seek. You know, what you seek, you, you will find. And so I can't say um, enough about how important great mentors in my life have been. Um, uh, and there's different mentors for different stages. Uh, but uh, so that's another really important thing too. Have, have a mentor from an organization that is, is, is as successful as you want to be. And that's important. Yes, yes. I, I absolutely agree with you. And uh, I think there's lots of organizations out there that CEOs can go to to find a mentor. But you can also just look around and say, hey, that person's done what I want to do. I'm mm-hmm. going to call them and ask them. That's right. And you'd be surprised that they'll say yes, because most people are happy to help another person rise up. Most likely it's how they got to where they were, right? Somebody somebody did that for them and it's a giving back. And uh, so it's uh, important to be and to have a mentor. Very good. I agree. Both sides of it. You've got to give back what you get. That's right. So just before we leave today, um, tell me your sales team today, you have a sales leader. How many salespeople do you have? So we have three salespeople um, and a sales leader. But like I said, I consider everybody in the company really to be in sales. Right. And they should, right? right. And they should. And then you're growing though. Right. But formally, you've got the four and you're growing quickly. So tell us about what you expect the future to hold for your sales organization. Well, you know, as like with anything that you are creating from nothing, um, there's a large amount of momentum and energy that goes into getting that familiarity out to the world that they know you exist. So right now, you know, we are working very diligently each day um, in uh, working through our, our plan um, by the way, planning and budgeting, I can't say enough about planning and budgeting. I, we didn't even get there, but maybe that's a talk for another time. But we see um, ourselves as the fastest growing provider of software in the industry. We are growing very quickly. And as long as we keep our mission pure and our purpose um, very clearly in our focus, we believe that we'll be able to accomplish the steps that we've set before ourselves to, to get that done. Very good. Well, I'm going to be continuing to watch you grow. It's very exciting. I'm going to take a look at your software because I am very interested in in this as well, because I think it is so important. And I want to do everything I personally can do, right, to reduce my own carbon footprint and and make a difference and have less impact on uh, less negative impact on the environment. That's good. Thank you for what. Yeah, right. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for coming on the show. It's just been a pleasure to meet you and get to know you a little bit. Thanks. And now that we do know each other, you know, if there's anything I can do to help you out, um, please let me know. Same, and, um, same. And thank where you. can everybody find if they want more information? Where can they find you? So you can go to fixify.com and we spell fixify um, the way it was meant to be spelled. F-Y-X-I-F-Y. <laughs> so it's F-Y-X-I-F-Y.com. 
and uh, we'll be in your neighborhood soon. Awesome. Well, you have a terrific rest of your day. Thanks again for being on the show. Thanks, Alice. Great to meet you. And thank you so much. And, and to all of your listeners as well. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Sales Talk for CEOs. You can find me at alicehyman.com. Be sure and connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know that you heard the show. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe, write a review, and share the show with another CEO.